Hello and welcome. My name is Joe O'Mara. I'm the Head of Aviation Finance with KPMG. And on behalf of KPMG and Airline Economics, I'm delighted to be joined by Robert Martin. Robert is the CEO of BOC Aviation. He's being interviewed for the purposes of our leaders report. And I should say we're recording this interview on the 8th of November in BOC's offices in Singapore. Robert, thanks so much for joining us. And um, before we get into the meat of the questions, perhaps you tell our watchers, most of whom will know a little bit about BOC Aviation. Okay. Well, Joe, great to be here. Um, so BOC Aviation has been around 29 years this month as we celebrate our 29th anniversary. Um, we're a company that's grown organically. We've never been out doing acquisitions of other companies. Today, we're a company with $23 billion worth of assets. Um, our fleet, including our orders, is over 600 aircraft. Um, and we're a company that very much focuses on the new end of the market, focused on aircraft directly from the manufacturers, and we hold them in our portfolio up, for, up to 12 years. Thanks for that, Robert. And, and maybe setting the scene, given the size and scale that you have, you'd have a great take on the market. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you have seen air traffic recover over the course of 22, and kind of where you're seeing those opportunities from a Boca perspective? Um, 2022 has been a year of recovery generally across the market, but it's uneven recovery across the regions. North America has done extremely well. Um, the airlines there clearly have pricing power, the same in the Middle East. Europe has sort of come along, but not as strong as those other two markets. Asia Pacific has been the laggard. But in the middle of the year and second half of the year, we've seen Southeast Asia catch up significantly. We're seeing Japan opening now, Korea's open. The last market to open up is China, and we believe that will open up early next year. And, and maybe if we talk then, opportunities clearly as we see that uh, recovery take hold, and it's be very evident, restrictions down, you know, air traffic back with a boom. What's been probably quite challenging has been the macroeconomic and geopolitical environment. When we think to Russia or we think to interest rates, inflation, currency, how challenging has it been kind of medium term planning in that uncertain environment and, and which are giving you the greatest concerns at the moment? Okay, it's fair to say we're a company who's used to volatility. Um, we've been through over five downturns before and we probably relatively thrive better when we have volatility. Um, and so when we look at what's going on in the world, you know, we believe the Americas is in good shape at the moment. Um, Europe went through a good period, but we're concerned as we go towards the winter, we do believe there's a European recession coming and that will have some impact on the European market. The Middle East is doing extremely well, partly because, of course, they're commodity-based economies. And here in Asia Pacific, uh, it started coming out of the downturn later, uh, but I believe it will come through strongly by next year. So next year, we're liable to be seeing recession in Europe, maybe a light recession in the US, but here in Asia Pacific, we don't believe we'll see a recession. This market will continue to grow over the next year. And I suppose one of those challenges around the interest rate environment, and um, we've probably been in there uh, since maybe Q1, Q2 of this year, we've seen significant rate rises. And when you think about that, in terms of your business as a top five lessor, how do you think about that interest rate environment? And does it have a significant impact on business as of today and trying to get deals done? Okay, uh, we're not concerned 
fundamentally about the interest rate environment. You know, over the last 29 years, we've been through much higher interest rates than we have today. Um, I think the problem is everybody's comparing with what has been a very low interest rate environment before this point. Even if you go back to 2000, 2001, we had fixed rates up around 7%. So today's environment of 4 to 5% base rates is probably more the norm than we've seen over the last 10 years. Um, and what happens during that period is interest rates go up. We're also this time seeing a widening of spreads between costs of lessors able to fund themselves at. And those lessors like ourselves who have basically funded themselves long term are in a better position because obviously that fixed rate funding you raise during the low period of the market stays on your books for a long time. The risk is much greater if you've been relying on short term funding, which we just fundamentally would not do. And are you seeing it feed in on the lease rate factor side? So the logical piece is you say, we've an uptick in lease rates. What logically should follow is an uptick in lease rate factors. As we sit here coming towards the end of the year, is that kind of following through in what you're seeing from a market perspective? Yeah. So when you think about the leasing industry, there are two costs which drive 80 to 85% of your costs. The price you pay for aircraft and the price you pay for your funding. So we've been seeing rates go up this year but obviously we've had a very steep increase in the yield curve i don't think all of that yield curve has been passed through that's going to take time but as we move into 2023 but we believe that will happen so for a lessor it's very important not only you control your funding costs but you also very importantly need to uh, control your purchase costs as well and particularly uh, make sure your escalation's capped Escalation has jumped significantly in the last year, as we saw back in 2001, 2002. So we were ready for that and moved ahead of this period to basically deal with our new orders before we got to this point. And that means then we can remain competitive as we go through the next phase of the cycle. Yeah, it does seem as if that overhang of capital is diluting just as yep. we're kind of moving towards the end of the year. Um, you mentioned the funding side. If I can talk to you a little bit about capital markets, maybe both mm -hmm. on ABS and debt, um, and maybe starting with ABS. So not a channel you've used for funding, but a channel you've utilized for trading in the Correct. past. Y your thoughts on where that market sits um, and what you think might it need to come back in a real way? Okay. So I would say the first thing about the ABS markets depends on how the appraisers react. The appraisers are living in their own little bubble at the moment when the rest of the world is seeing inflation. Unfortunately, the aircraft appraisers community is not. They need to change that and catch up with the market. Um, and I think once that happens, that will then bring some life back into the ABS market and it will then become an area where people are willing to invest on the equity side. At the moment, those players who are considering using it are really look at it as a funding source. We don't need it as a funding source. We use the corporate debt markets um, and we have 50 banks in our banking group. That's relatively more interesting to us at the moment. We just closed a $500 million facility in that market than using the corporate bond markets where secondary rates have been pushed up by obviously the rise in interest rates that has come through this year. And do you think there are fundamental changes needed? If you look at the structure of ABS, is it more a case that we just need market volatility to settle 
and as you say values to right size to a degree or do you think there's something structurally that you know those behind ABS need to think a little bit more on? I think it's less to do with structure and more to do with what are out there as alternative investments outside of the aviation market. You have to remember that those investors who invest in ABS will also be investing in many, many other industries. And during the period up until 2020, other investments were not yielding very good returns. Now, with inflation picking up in other markets, obviously there are better alternatives out there. And so what our industry has to do is work to persuade those investors that there are long term, there is long term upside in basically the ABS equity. And we need the appraisers to help the market do that. And, and it probably feeds into my next question I have, which is really aviation as an asset class. And I think what we've clearly seen over the last two decades, decade and a half, is a maturing of that asset class and the ability of large lessors like yourself to go to the unsecured market and raise at record rates. Low environment for, for sure, but, but record rates nonetheless. Do you think the periods of uncertainty we are going through at the moment are, are going to negatively impact aviation as an asset class? Or you just think, look, it's kind of proven itself and its robustness in more recent times and therefore its attractiveness won't really be impacted. Well, let's start off by looking backwards. The COVID downturn was the worst in history. Looking forwards, we don't believe we're heading into another downturn like that. Any downturn we enter going forwards is going to be more benign than the one we saw during COVID. So I'm pretty confident of going forwards. I think the key thing is you need to have capital available to you when you need it. You need to be able to withstand a higher interest rate environment. We have $6 billion of backstop credit lines, and that's there for a good reason. And that sets us apart from those people who basically will have to borrow in the secured markets and maybe don't have the same broad access to markets that we have. And on that element of investors coming at the space, have you seen any evolution of the types of investors that are attracted? Or is it right, names change, but the nature of the investors is broadly the same? No, I think there's new types of investors that have got interested in aviation, particularly over the last five years. There's both a geographic spread, where now we have very good access here in the Reg S market outside of the US. And you're seeing sort of a combination of different types of investors coming in, where we're seeing more asset managers come into the market, more insurers come into the market, and more mutual funds come into the market. And I think that has significantly broadened access for those who um, are tapping capital markets with investment grade ratings. But the investment grade ratings are very important. It's much more difficult if you don't have an investment grade rating. Is that going to effectively, or has it already led to a two-tier piece as much as anything? The large guys, IG rating, can tap the unsecured market in a real way. Maybe some asset class, uh, some asset managers playing in niche spaces, and everyone else who's probably a little bit exposed. Would you agree with that kind of thing? Yeah, I think what we've seen over the period since 2012 is quite a significant number of the big lessors have gone investment grade ratings. I think that sets them apart from the rest of the market. Um, it also allows them, once they've got an investment grade rating, to tap a much wider group of banks as well. 
Um, there's a lot of smaller banks in countries like Japan um, who will basically invest in operating listings because they have an investment grade rating. If they didn't have an investment grade rating, these types of banks probably wouldn't invest in them. And, and maybe stepping back and look at the macro position for leasing. Um, you know, we've seen the trend line of percentage of leased aircraft just gradually tick upwards. You know, roughly 25% at the turn of the century, and kind of agreed that COVID has given us a slight step change, and we've breached that 50% threshold. Your thoughts on where that might go? We clearly saw a deepening of relationships between airline and lessors over the course of the crisis. Do you see that 50% continuing to be breached? Do you see it going higher? Um, I don't think it's going to go much higher. There are a number of airlines out there that will continue to invest in aircraft themselves, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One is, of course, the tax benefits that come with ownership. You may remember, particularly in the US, um, the special um, tax depreciation benefits for those who acquire aircraft over the next three to four years. Um, obviously, people have an eye to that and want to take advantage of that as they become more profitable. Um, in addition, there are carriers around the world who are investment grade ratings themselves, and they will continue to tap unsecured markets as well. And feeding in maybe to M&A and consolidation, which kind of links to some of these points we're talking about, IG-rated lessors. Um, we've seen some consolidation, right? There was obviously the Aircraft GCAS transaction, but, but we saw a couple of, you know, going back a few years, say large lessors, the likes of AMCK, Goshawk, 100 to 150 aircraft being subsumed into larger platforms. Do you foresee scale as a big increasing in importance for lessors? I say this to obviously a very large lessor, right? Um, but do you see scale increasing in importance and do you see the potential for that driving more M&A of those kind of mid-sized players that can't get to that IG status? Okay, well, first of all, let's destroy the myth. The industry didn't consolidate. The industry has done the opposite. If you measure the market by either the top two, the top five or the top 10, it's deconsolidated since 2010. Um, the AirCap GCAS deal was a minor blip in the middle of that. But even that has not stopped deconsolidation going on. So will there be M&A? Yes, there will, but it's always driven by a willing seller. So the key question is, are there investors in this industry who want to get out of the industry or have financial problems of their own that mean they have to divest? And that will drive M&A. If I was to ask you to crystal ball a little bit, right, mm -hmm. we looked at maybe five years' time, do you see that flipping a little, right? Do you think we'll see some contraction in that kind of top 10 and ownership percentage, or is it just a case that the genie's out of the bottle, more money comes at this space, and therefore just we have more players, only more aircraft? I, I feel that sort of consolidation will say at roughly the same level as we see today. I don't see significant consolidation coming. If you look at the order books of the lessors and look at the order book concentration in the top 10 lessors, that means the top 10 will continue to grow as proportion of the marketplace. And the way that the smaller players will grow is basically by sell downs of bigger portfolios and the bigger lessors into other parts of the marketplace. Now, the one thing that could also have a negative impact on that is if we do begin to see the ABS market open and you see new ABS managers begin to appear in the market, then you may see the market being broken up further by these new managers come into the market. Probably feeds in a little to my next question, was just your thoughts on the current trading environment. You know, you guys 
have and, and have maintained a very young fleet mm -hmm. that does involve you know mining your order book and moving aircraft on and, and so you've used the ABS mm -hmm. target you, you've used portfolio sales your thoughts on where the current trading market sits is it functional is it fit for purpose uh, and if not how do you see it moving in the near term okay so when you look at the trading market clearly with the ABS market close it's either portfolios or it's individual aircraft sales or groups of small aircraft how that part of the market functions will be driven by two things. One is, of course, interest rates. If interest rates are rising for those people who are the buyers, that means that's going to have a dampening effect on the number that they're willing to pay. But on the flip side, we have inflation coming into the whole system, so we should see some upward pressure on residual values at the same time. So what will happen, in my view, is you may see a short-term dip, but then things pick up as the appraisers and others begin to feed uh, that inflation into their numbers. Yeah, it's a chicken and egg, isn't it? You, yeah. need, you need it's trading, a timing issue. You need trading to happen so you <laughs> yeah. know where values are going, Correct. right? Correct, um, And maybe feeding on from that, um, you guys have a significant order book. You have that order book split the, between the, the two main providers. Can you talk to us a little bit about how your, or has your view uh, changed in any way post-COVID on how the OEMs interact with lessors and the importance of lessors to the OEMs? I didn't think much has changed. Um, one of the reasons why we placed an order earlier this year is because we want to maintain long-term contact with the manufacturers. And I think for a leasing company, Boeing and Airbus are the two most important stakeholders that lessors in the new aircraft market have. You think about it, between the two of them, they probably account for close to 100% of the aircraft you're bringing in, so one of the two biggest costs in your portfolios. Whereas even on the airline side, nobody will account for 50%. They will probably account for 10% of your book on the other side. So by definition then, your OEMs become your largest stakeholders. And when you look at their production rates and what they're producing at the moment, does it drive a little bit of a concern for BOC when you kind of think, I need these guys to restock me? Are you worried about their ability to ramp up and deliver on what they've committed? No, because we buy aircraft in two ways. We either buy them directly from the manufacturers or we take them onto our book by buying them from airlines. So they will either sell to one or the other and so then we will have access to the order book one way or the other. It's just different the way you access that. When you deal with a manufacturer, you'll tend to do it in large blocks. Whereas when you deal with an airline, basically the numbers of aircraft obviously are a lot smaller per airline, so it involves more work to get those onto your books. Robert, just in closing, as we sit here in November 22, um, what are your optimism levels like? So we've talked to kind of you know, lots of opportunities and recovery in air travel, and then just all this uncertainty that we're seeing in the market. Uh, as you think about next year and beyond, how optimistic are you? Well, let's start with today. Today, Singapore Airlines reported their highest ever quarterly profits. So that's a good point for optimism to start. The C919 has flown its first public flight at Zhuhai Airshow. So things are starting off by looking good. Um, my own feeling is now Asia Pacific is going to pick up significantly and so that should more than offset any negatives we're getting coming out of the potential recession in Europe. 
Um, and so I'm pretty optimistic from where we sit today and certainly more optimistic from where I sat two and a half years ago in the middle of COVID. Well, on that optimistic note, I'd like to thank you for your excellent insights today and I wish you and BOC Aviation a very successful 2023. Okay, thanks very much. Yeah.